Welcome, everybody, to Season 2, Episode 9 of the No Code Podcast. My guest for this episode is Sean Denham, the managing partner of Grant Thornton's Philadelphia office. Sean, like myself, grew up at the Jersey Shore and has grown his career to really impressive heights. We had a great discussion about career progression, the importance of mentorship, adjusting our personal values during COVID, returning to the office to recapture culture and collaboration, and a lot more. Sean is a humble guy that continues to grow as a person and professional while lifting others up in his network. It was a true pleasure to sit down with him, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 9 of the No Code Podcast. Very excited for my guest today, a gentleman I've known for a couple years now. Um, We were about to get lunch in mid-February. I had to cancel last minute and figured we'd catch up in like a month or two from there. And then uh, 13 months has gone by and here we are. But uh, excited to have uh, my guest on today, Sean Denham, managing partner of Grant Thornton's Philadelphia region. Welcome to the show, Sean. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, Tony. It's great to catch up. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Can't wait to do it in person, but this is uh, good enough for now, I guess. Yep. 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 A lot of hot things going on right now. Really encouraged that we just hit uh, April. Um, it's a great time of the year for the auditing profession as we start seeing a kind of a light at the end of the tunnel. Yep. I remember it uh, pretty well from my KPMG days. And, uh, you know, I can remember some of those April 15th parties or some of those audit sign off parties too. And in late March, early April, those, uh, you know, they, they got a little crazy from time to time. They do get crazy. Uh, last year, obviously, we had to go virtual for our end of busy season party. We're going virtual again this year. Yeah. Um, but historically, we've had a lot of good times. Uh, you usually pick some bar and restaurant in Center City and um, celebrate a little bit. Yeah. If, if people out there listening or watching that uh, are not accountants themselves or don't know accountants, trust me, they know <laughs> how to party. All right. They might not see it. They know how to do a, a proper send off. We do. <laughs> And, uh, you know, you and I also bonded over our, uh, our, our upbringing. You're a, a Wildwood Crest kid. I grew up in Northfield, New Jersey, right outside Margate, Atlantic City area. And, uh, you know, uh, a couple of Jersey Shore kids here that uh, have done pretty well for themselves, I suppose. Yeah, I think growing up in a beach town in the Jersey Shore actually helps define who you are as a person and um, I moved to Wildwood Crest, New Jersey when I was seven years old, um, growing up a block from the beach. Um, all my friends, uh, the majority of my friends are still down there. Um, my f- whole family is still down there. My parents are still living in w- the same house I grew up of when I was seven. Uh, me and my family, we, we have a shore house down there in the crest and spend a lot of time down there and playing golf at the shore club down there. Yeah, that's great. I mean, same situation here. You know, mom and dad are still down there. My my siblings have sort of uh, scattered about, but they still come back pretty often. And, uh, you know, hopefully one day for my wife and I, we'll be getting that shore house as well. Uh, we, we might be a couple of years off of that, but uh, that's definitely a goal because it's it's so great to come back to and uh, see so many of my, my buddies that I grew up with, uh, like in your situation, are still down there. And, and uh, you know, one thing that's interesting, I don't know if you've uh, read or, or heard this, but... Uh, the year-round population down there in light of COVID is actually growing quite a bit. It is. I mean, the real estate market has exploded yeah. at Beach Towns. And, you know, I think we we saw that this past summer 
Um, you know, where I am, you know, real estate, uh, residential real estate prices have exploded. Um, you know, this pat and I have some friends that are in, in that space. They own, um, one of my best friends actually owns a real estate company down in, in Wildwood cool. and, you know, houses go on the market within 48 hours. There's multiple offers, uh, sight unseen, uh, cause people want to be, be there. I think people with COVID are starting to say, okay, in this virtual world, I'm going to go live where I want to live, not live where I work. And I think this short town boom has exploded as a result. Yeah. Yeah. So my wife and I actually did it for a year. We had lived in King of Prussia and we decided we wanted to go back to South Jersey. We were both born and raised in South Jersey. And, uh, you know, we just wanted to run back to those nice property taxes. We we really missed (laughs) paying those. So, uh, but, uh, you know, we, we had kind of a year in between where uh, my mother-in-law has a house in Summers Point, New Jersey, right outside Ocean City. And, uh, you know, she at the time was in Chicago on a regular basis. And that was the house she'd come home to uh, for holidays and summer and all that. And uh, so it was kind of open and we intended to stay maybe like six months. It took us a little longer to find a house than we thought. So we stayed for a year, but I commuted back and forth probably like three days a week to our Philadelphia office from there. And it was an hour drive. It was Parkway to Expressway. And honestly, I live in Medford now. I live 24 miles outside of the city. And in normal times, it's an hour from here. So, yeah, I mean, that's something it's feasible. And, you know, a lot of the schools down there are pretty good. So, yeah, it's interesting to see that it's uh, on one hand, it's a little concerning because it's like, okay, in the business that I'm in, at least with commercial office space being the primary driver, it's like, uh, you know, that's that's nice for my people down the shore. But what does that mean for repopulating offices in the long run here, which is still you know, kind of a lack of clarity on what that's going to look like? Yeah, that, that that is a question. You know, our firm as a whole has thought about our real estate footprint um, and, you know, doing national. We have about 10,000 employees across the country at Grant Thornton. And, you know, we're just like other organizations, we're doing surveys to kind of understand where our employees and colleagues want to want to be post COVID. And, and we're coming up pretty quick to post COVID. Um, and I, I think the jury's still out. You know, I think in what, what I've seen, what I think our firm has seen in large cities like Philadelphia, people are more reluctant to kind of go back into the office. Yeah. Uh, we, we have we have about 500 employees that sit in, in my office in Philadelphia. And on any given day, we have seven, eight people in the office. Wow. I mean, we're available. We're open for business. We're yeah, available. Yeah. But it's, it's not required. And actually, we're not encouraging people to come into the office. Right. Um, you know, I think as a firm now, we're thinking about what does that mean? Um, and that's kind of where the surveys come in. And understanding from our people how they want to work going forward. And then how do we flex accordingly? We, you know, with a really large real estate footprint we, we have nationally. Yeah. It's, it's the problem that everybody's trying to, I mean, nobody I think wants to solve it right now because we just don't know exactly what, when post COVID is, what that exactly looks like. I mean, I think we're all feeling pretty good now that we're, you know, vaccine rollout and uh, you know, some cases are, are, upticking a little bit here and there, but for the most part, uh, hospitalizations and deaths are, are staying down. Hope that continues. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it is the question. And, and we, we're doing a lot of that too, survey work, not only for our clients, but for JLL internally. And I think it was a, it was a fairly early survey, but I think the number has held pretty steady that somewhere around 75% of people absolutely want to come back. 
but they want, they almost all want to come back with some flexibility built yep. of like a three day in the office. Let me work from home when I can, so I can actually sit down and plow through work. Um, and, and me personally, that is something that I had done pre COVID for years. You know, I was typically a, like a Monday and Friday from home. So I could kind of avoid the tap on the shoulder, you know, time distraction of being in the office, actually get through, you know, due dates or, or whatever I was working on. And, and like three days bouncing around between our five offices in the region, which I'm sure as a, as an executive yourself in the Philly region, it might've looked kind of similar. Um, but I, I loved that style. And, and, and I think it'd be great if we could come back with that open to more people. I just, you know, the question is, what are the, what is the impact on the footprint? Is it a reduction in space? Is it a more comfortable space that houses less people? So in other words, taking our 50 person office in center city and saying, okay, it's 35 now, and here's how we're going to redo the furniture layouts. And here's how we're going to redo the conference rooms and have some more, you know, decompression space or whatever it may be. I would love to see that personally. I hope it, I hope it can work. Um, you know, for owners and occupiers. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned you would work from home Monday, Monday and Friday. I mean, I, I never did. I, I was in the office, you know, five days a week, kind of my role is managing partner of the office. It's, you need to be with your people. Um, you need to be in the marketplace. So I would have breakfast, lunch, and dinner almost every day, all three of those coffees, meeting with clients, um, out, out at, out at our clients meeting with um, our, the executives of those clients. Um, and, you know, you, you kind of need to be seen, you need to be out there. So, I mean, it was a really rough transition for me in the first six months uh, trying to figure out Zoom. Everyone was excited for Zoom, then Zoom fatigue has hit. Yep. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm really curious and hopefully bullish on that, you know, the cities will remain. Um, you know, there are some some people are predicting that, you know, will will cities kind of die, as, at least as they were known? Um, I hope not. I, I don't think so. I think people want to be. In, I was in the office this week and I've, I'm only going in about once a month now. But it just feels I mean, there's no one there. It's a ghost town, but it's it just feels different being in the office. Um, I have a little more pep in my step when I'm in the office and walking around the city and. Um, it just feels different. So kind of getting out of the house back into the workforce, I, I think people forget how much they, they miss it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I made it out to our Berwyn office last week and I had a, some meetings and a lunch to go to out there. And there was probably 10 or 12 people in the office. And yeah, it felt great. I mean, it felt great just to see people and catch up. And, you know, we're all doing the things we have to do in terms of, you know, keeping the masks on at all times and, and all that fun stuff. But so there is that element of, of, you know, weirdness with it, but it's, it's so worth it to be around people. And I think, you know, the big thing that's missing right now is that collaboration and exchange of ideas to, you know, really kind of drive the creativity and drive the solutions for our clients. Like you can't really replicate that on, on zoom or teams or whatever it may be. You just, it doesn't work you that can. way. And, and it's the bumping. And I mean, when I'm in the office, I am busy Every minute of every day, someone stops by. Hey, I need five minutes. Can we talk about this? Hey, I want to talk to you about this client matter. I want to talk to you about this prospect matter. You know, how, you know, can I just get a, give you a, um, you know, maybe even a little bit of a bitch session? Right. I, I, need, I need to pick me up. Yeah. And not having those to, I mean, everything is now scheduled. I mean, it's very rare 
Um, it's very rare for someone even just to pick up the phone and, and call. Um, and it's, it's, Hey, let's get 20 minutes on the calendar. I mean, you kind of lose that, that bump in and there's so much value, I think, to that bump in. And, you know, in, and I know companies are thinking about this all the time. I'm not sure how your company's thinking about it, but even our first years, and, and I'll, I'll tell you a, a little secret, Tony, that very few people know auditing what I do for a living isn't super sexy. It's not. <laughs> I'll You're tell right. you, it's a shock. Everyone's shocked right now. <laughs> I'll tell you, but what is exciting and why I've stayed in the profession really my whole career. It's, it's not always ticking and tying and doing kind of the work of that some of the, what we do as an auditor, but it's being with your clients, it's being in front of your clients, it's being with your people. It's having a nine, 10, 12 person engagement team in a conference room at a client, having lunch, taking break, you know, a few breaks here, having a conversation, getting to know one another. And while we've tried to continue to simulate that through uh, virtual conference rooms, it's just not the same. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's a bond that you have when you have to work maybe some late nights and um, you have client deadlines and you're so- shoulder to shoulder as opposed to virtual. And so, you know, fi- companies figuring out and on my firm trying to figure out how to replicate that. And that's what ties a person to an organization. It's those yeah. personal bonds and living in a virtual world, especially with first years coming out of college that have never had those bonds created. It's a struggle. It's a really, it's, it's a hard struggle. In a way, it's almost like the school issue right now. Yep. You know, kids at school, uh, the, the ones that have had to be virtual for a year, and I know a lot of them are getting back now, but, but that missed time when you're at a young point in your life or career, when you're a sponge, when you're absorbing all this knowledge and information to not have that in person, it's like impossible to replicate that. And and I could see that for, for first, second year people in the public accounting business as, as I'm seeing it in real estate. I mean, if you're a junior broker and you can't be in the office learning from the people that have been around 15, 25 years, it's tough. It's tough. And we're doing what we can to continue to support them and give them the training and the skills that they need. But it is it is much harder for that group than somebody that's been doing it a long time that has the book of business, that has the clients, that can has the relationships that still might have a bad year or two, but knows they can get through it. You know, they, they can come out the other side in good shape. So, yeah, that's a, that's a huge challenge. Um, so, you, you know, you mentioned some of the stuff you guys have done internally and uh, wh- what for your clients was kind of the initial message as COVID was hitting versus what you're doing now, how has that kind of evolved over the past 13 months in terms of how you're advising your, you know, critical clients on, on how they're conducting their business? Curious about that. Yeah. I mean, uh, we, we are advising clients, um, but you know, our clients are going through, I mean, the, there, there are business issues. I think a lot of those business issues were, were addressed early on Do uh, organizations, do companies have the ability to, to be virtual through technology, et cetera. I think, and, and that was obviously table stakes early on in the pandemic. I think now as we come out, um, I think organizations, including ours, I'm sure including yours is, um, you know, how, how do we retain the profitability that we've had? Right. And a lot of companies have been, have actually seen, uh, you know, revenue may be down, but 
profitability for some organizations have been up and it's been up because all of the operating costs are no longer there, right? Those yeah. meetings and conferences that cost a lot of money to attend in person, um, they're, they're not attending or they're attending virtually and it's a fraction of the cost because of yeah. travel and hotels, et cetera. Yeah, T&E and adds up. T&E and marketing are big line items. T&E adds up enormously. And I think organizations have, have realized that. Now, how do they not necessarily give that back? But also translating that um, of some of the benefits of being in person as well. So, what does that mix look like? Um, you know, through the pandemic and even still currently on certain manufacturing companies and distribution companies, you know, supply chain incredibly important. Um, but I think that a lot in, in not just their immediate supply chain, but the supply chain throughout the life cycle of the product or, or whatever the offering they may be giving. Um, but I think companies have figured that out for the most part um, now that we've been living in a year. So now it's OK. We 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 uh, weathered the storm. Um, we our revenues are on back on up to an uptick. Profitability has done well. How do we maintain that? Or if if things have not um, made, been great financially for them, what do we need to shift? And so these little moments, I think, throughout life cycles of an organization, those reflection points are so critical. And I, what I, what we definitely saw, and I think maybe we're going to see again here shortly, is there are these these different um, markers in an organization's life cycle. And what 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 are those markers? Well, everyone has a kind of a five year plan, a three year plan, and that was disrupted. Now, how did they flex? Who could flex quicker? We're about to hit another reflection point of kind of going back to work, the country reopening. The companies that I think can leverage that the best or capitalize that on the best are the ones that always come out the best. And so that's, I wouldn't say what we're advising. Those are kind of the questions we're asking. Um, you know, questions around scenarios. So scenario, scenario planning has been hot for years. Right. But companies really have never, I don't want to say it. I mean, a lot of companies never kind of went through it. They, they had the scenario planning in their mind, but putting pen to paper. Yeah. Well, we're, again, we're about to hit some new scenario planning. And how are companies thinking through that? that that's a lot of the things that I'm talking to boards about and about uh, to C-suite about. Gotcha. No, that, that's, that's really interesting. Um, you know, I, I think what's interesting, too, is to see how some companies – you know, this, this was a very tough lesson to learn and certainly a, a painful and costly one for a lot. But to see how some companies have innovated through this and actually tweak their business models to enhance what they were doing before the pandemic is, is really interesting, too. You know, my last guest on the podcast was Ryan Simonetti, the CEO of Convene, which is a co-working uh, provider and, and hospitality administrator for um, offices and office buildings around the country there they've done some really interesting stuff in terms of how they're pivoting their company to be more on the services side and less reliant on really the physical real estate and more of like what can they provide to a building owner and tenants to increase their their uh, you know their experience of occupying space and something like that to me is is really interesting they had to take some some hard hits I mean they had to really let a lot of people go um, and, and, you know, reshape their whole business model. But, you know, I think they're going to come out of this in, in a great spot because they had a chance to step back, 
It's exactly look at things differently, you know? Yeah. And and that's maybe I didn't as eloquently as you said it there, Tony, but I mean, that, that's kind of what I was saying in, in those different reflection points in the beginning of COVID companies were forced, although they've had always kind of thought about, you know, what different scenarios could, could face, could, could I face, but they were forced to actually take action. Right. And, uh, you know, and I, and I did see that, um, podcast and webcast that you guys had done. I thought it was fantastic. I thought he was amazing. Um, but you know, and, and I think companies are now preparing for what's next. Um, right. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, no, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting to see and kind of separating the really innovative, innovative companies from some of the ones that are sort of, you know, they were stuck in, in, in their old ways and they, they're maybe too big or cumbersome to be able to kind of pivot and adapt, but we'll see. I mean, uh, time will tell. I think, uh, I think post Labor Day into the fourth quarter is really going to, when we get a lot of the answers to the stuff we're talking about right now, but, uh, we shall see. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to talk about is, is your career track at Grant Thornton in particular, you've been there about, I think 17 years now altogether. That sounds right. Yeah. 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 If your LinkedIn is correct, then that is correct. (laughs) But, uh, that's uh, I mean, that's a hell of a run. Um, how has your whole, you know, career track kind of evolved there at Grant Thornton in terms of, you know, where you started, how you climbed the ladder and and some of the, the newer things you're working on, which we talked about offline a little bit that I'm excited to get into a bit. Yeah. So so I've had I've had a relatively long career. I've been in uh, in public accounting in, in different different ways um since 94 graduating lehigh in 94 so 27 years and i noticed through covid that i'm getting tremendous amount of more gray hair than i had (laughs) so i'm I'm definitely starting to feel some of the years um but yeah i've been with gt for 17 years i started my career in the firm's sec group well started my career grant thornton in the firm's sec group in washington dc um, all things kind of financial reporting, um, SEC questions from clients, et cetera. So which was a great learning experience. Then uh, made partner in the national office of the Northeast region of GT. Um, so Philadelphia, Boston, New York. I was working up in Edison, New Jersey at that point. Um, did that for six or seven years and then got an opportunity to become the assistant managing partner in New York and then did that for a year. Um, that leadership team did some really fun things and some great things. And our CEO asked me to come to Philly. So been in Philly for seven, eight years, have worn a lot of different hats in the firm. But I think the number one thing that I can look back in, um, you know, having a successful career and it, hopefully it's not done yet, but having great mentors who, who really um, take a shine to you or see something in you or, just uh, invest in you. And I have been so lucky in my career from day one coming out of college. I started my career out of Lehigh at a firm called Amper, Paul Senior Mattia, which is now Eisner Amper. But um, one of the founding partners or the fourth partner, um, this a gentleman by the name of Peter Freitag, was just a great partner to me. As, as a first year out of college, um, he called me Scott. Um, <laughs> I all the time that my name's Sean, not Scott. But he would give me little projects to do, like, um, you know, basic accounting, technical issues. And I, he'd give me homework assignments. I'd go do them and come back. And nine times out of 10, I had the wrong answer. But <laughs> he knew the answer. It wasn't a, like he needed help. He, he yeah. knew the answer. 
but he just, he just um, really had put his arm around me early in my career. And I've had those throughout my career. Um, went to Ernst & Young for a while um, in their M&A practice in Manhattan, went back to Amper for a period of time before going to GT. And I've always had, you know, either a partner or it didn't even have to be a partner or just someone that um, looked out for me. Right. And I think that's just so critical. And I believe so much in mentorship and um, having a buddy and, you know, some of my best friends in the world um, to this day are people I've met at where I've worked and they've gone on to do bigger and better things and have stayed connected with them and have been able to do business with one another. But, you know, I, I have had been afforded some really fun, great, cool opportunities in my career. And I, I really attribute that to the people um, like Peter like uh, Karen French used to be in our SEC group and was a managing partner and helped help me get the partner and a lot of great people in my career. Yeah, that's and, and you know one thing you mentioned which I think is interesting is the the mentorship it doesn't always have to come from a C-suite level, you know, and sometimes a peer mentor is kind of the best thing you can have too. Um I know at JLL I have somebody uh Denise Dexter in our Carolinas region that is COO of that region as I am CEO of JL of Philadelphia. You know, we touch base once every two weeks, share ideas, struggles, problems, challenges that we face, advice back and forth to one another. And like you, I've had a lot of those those senior level mentors over the years that are, you know, a couple steps above me in career trajectory. But but sometimes it's sometimes it's that that peer on kind of on your same level that you can get a lot out of too. I'm I'm sure you've you've experienced some of that at at Grant Thornton as well. Uh, but that can be incredibly value, valuable when you have somebody to sort of share those uh, pain points and challenges and struggles and and positive things too. So totally, and and I think you know being a part. So Grant Thornton's a partnership, and being a part of a partnership, it's truly that a partnership. And um, you know my my peer group is is my partners, and being able to kick ideas around, brainstorm. I spend a tremendous amount of time working with our business development executives who, um, you know, I, I call, have an idea, bounce ideas off, off them. Um, and, you know, that's, that's what's fun. That's what kind of gets me going every day is, uh, you know, what's the new thing we're going to see? Who are you going to run into? What's the new relationship you're going to build? How can you help an organization? How can you help a person? I, I had a phone call this morning um, with a brand, uh, someone who joined Grant Thornton nine months ago, um, and she is amazing and has done some really great things and has written some articles. And um, and so I just offered myself up to her to say, hey, how can I, how can I make you successful? Right. You know, my job is to help help you. So just like Peter put his arm around me 27 years ago, you know, I, I find it rewarding and incredibly important to do the same thing for our people as they join the ranks. Yeah, I think that's critical. You have to, as you rise in the organization, you have to you have to give that back too, and, and it creates a better overall culture. It creates, uh, and it's not bad for yourself either. If you're known as somebody that mentors others and and helps raise other people's careers, that's a that's just a positive all the way around. I've always tried to do that too. You know, one of my favorite things uh, going to JLL now is I have an analyst team of. Uh, Three people now. We had to kind of reduce down from about seven person team last year, uh, kind of pre pandemic, and then a couple of them sort of went into other roles or or what have you. But they are like you know twenty four to twenty seven or eight in that range, 
And it's the first time in my career that I've felt, uh, you know, a little bit older, uh, <laughs> me being in my, I'm only in my late thirties. So I'm not, I, I think I'm doing okay so far, but, uh, you know, to have people that are 10 to 15 years younger than me, um, and to see how they grow and evolve and some of the mistakes they make too, that uh, I'm always sure to call, call out cause they have to learn from them. But at the same time, uh, in the beginning, I called myself being a little too, uh, rough on them and then kind of remembering some of the stuff I would do back in the day and be like, all right, well, you know, <laughs> I, I, I did plenty of that stuff, uh, <laughs> back then too, and worse, but, uh, you know, it's so fun though. It's so much, it's so rewarding to, uh, be able to uh, manage and, and supervise and mentor people like that and, and see them grow too, because they grow fast. Like in, in, in the span of a year, uh, some of the things they were struggling with, whether it was time management or organization or, you know, staying on top of multiple projects, it, it's amazing how quickly they, they figured that out in a short period of time. Um, yeah. And that's, and that's probably, fun to see. Yeah. It's probably re really rewarding for you to see too. Cause right. You've probably been a mentor to them over the years and, you know, as I get as I get further along in my career, um, you know, titles mean less, um, personal accomplishments mean less, and it's really about the accomplishments of the team. And you know, I take enormous pride of seeing um, you know a first year that has you know ten years later, twelve years later becomes a partner. There's nothing, nothing more rewarding than um, seeing that growth. And, and, and that, you know, what you said there really resonated with me, but seeing that growth of someone in over a period of time or them getting their first major win on a proposal, really yeah. exciting, right. And being on that first proposal and, um, making sure that, you know, I take the time to kind of work with them and make sure they, you know, their success becomes my success. And it, it, it's, it's been, it's been a fun ride even to see, my own personal development on how I've shifted from maybe being a little bit of a me person and less of a me person to more of a, it's, it's really about everyone else um, and everyone else's success. Yeah. I, that I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, for me personally, it's probably been the last two to three years where I've started to make that shift. I was so, I was so focused on my own stuff. Like, you know, what role am I in now? When can I get promoted? How much money am I making? Why am I not making more money? You know, just 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 kind of just zeroed in in that selfish desire, which I don't think is necessarily wrong because you have to build a career, you know, and you have to build yourself up first, in my opinion, before you could really start passing along that that knowledge and that uh, mentorship to others. But what I found was when I when I shifted outward more instead of just being so me, you know, inwardly focused, I started to grow more individually than, than I did before, you know, and then all, all this, I started doing my job a lot better, I think is what it came down to. And I started getting more accolades and I, and I, it wasn't until I kind of took a step back and realized, well, I stopped making it all about me. And I started trying to figure out like, how can I grow other people's careers? How can I grow our platform at JLL? without just trying to think about how I can cash in on that. It was more of like, how can I be a brand ambassador? How can I, how can I support more nonprofits? And, and, and even when I'm networking, when I go out there, not looking so much for JLL business, but how can I help somebody else? Yeah. Because when you do that, number one, it's rewarding. Number two, it's the right thing to do. Number three, a lot of times it comes back to you, you know? Um, yeah, 
definitely from a networking standpoint, you have to give before you get that. Yeah. that uh, that's it's an old adage, but it's a true adage. Yeah. So how much um, I'm, I'm curious how much of your role you would say is outward client facing business development oriented versus like the management of the practice? Because I, I assume you really have to wear two or three or four hats in, in what you do. Yeah, I mean, our firm shifted a few years ago. So the OMP role is is definitely more about our people. Um, mm-hmm. So our people in Philadelphia and about growth. And yeah. so um, that's where I, so I, I do have a few different hats. So one being as the OMP, it's, it's all about our people. Right. It's also about growing the pie. So, which I take great pride in. So the, the, the bigger the pie gets, um, it's, it's not about profitability for my pocket. It's about profitability. Like I said, of, you know, creating more partners, allowing other peoples to achieve, whatever they want to achieve, right? I've been afforded amazing opportunities in my career. So giving, allowing others to be afforded those same opportunities is, is what, what that, for me, the OMP role is about. Right. And then I'm also an auto partner. Um, so I also have, you know, a pretty large book of clients um, that I serve. And so um, that takes up a tremendous amount of my time. And then, uh, you know, the other piece is about kind of revenue growth for the firm. So supporting our senior leaders of the firm, our CEO, our partnership board, and just overall my other partners. So um, trying to make sure, you know, I think if I can help them be successful, you know, the entire firm becomes successful. But so that's that takes up the majority of my time. And, and recently I took on um, this other role in the firm, kind of helping the firm stand up our national SPAC practice. Right. And so that's uh, that's been really rewarding. Um, you know, you can't open the Wall Street Journal or any publication without reading about SPACs, which are special purpose acquisition companies. This is not a uh, this is not a cast on SPACs today by any stretch. Um, but, you know, that's been taking up a lot of my time. Right. So the explosion and the rise of the SPAC, um, you know, private companies thinking about a, a way to go public through a SPAC versus a traditional IPO and talking to a lot of great investor groups and sponsor groups that are considering um, creating a SPAC and, and um, going to the capital markets that way. But so that takes up probably about a hundred percent of my time at, at GT. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. The SPAC stuff is super interesting. I mean, I, I know they've been around a long time, but I don't think I was even aware of them at all until maybe three months ago when I'm listening to a wall street journal podcast on SPACs. I'm like, what is this? You just, give a bunch of money to some people and then they go public, but they don't tell you what kind of company they're going to go buy. It was, it was so, uh, it was so interesting and, and new for me to hear about, but uh, I've, it's one of those things like once you hear it once, I just kept hearing it all the time, you know, yeah. just kept noticing it in the news or, you know, Bloomberg or wall street journal or whatever it may be. And so I kind of been following it and just trying to, you know, gain an understanding of it. I, you know, nothing to do with my role at JLL, but I'm sure, I'm sure it'll play into the industry somehow at some point, but uh, just a really kind of uh, kind of really interesting, um, I guess, concept that's been around a while, but recently kind of took on more popularity. Yeah, yeah, and, and we and we won't go into it today um, as we talked, I guess, on the pre-call. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just a new. It's not new to your point. It's been around a long time, but there's been some certain tweaks to the way. Um, SPACs are viewed, SPACs are looked at, especially with pipe transactions um, coming into play. But, it, you know, it's an interesting vehicle for 
all life cycles of the company. Earlier right. stage companies are considering it, kind of that middle market or upper middle market, really where GT focuses. Um, it's very, very popular. But even for some larger companies, I mean, DraftKings went public uh, about a year ago. That's one of the bigger names. Right. Um, it's, you know, some of the large names that have gone public via a SPAC um, have, you know, one of our clients, Utz, at public information. They went public about yeah. back in August via a SPAC. Um, and so it, it's it's just, just an alternative, a new vehicle in order to access the capital markets. Yeah, that's cool. And Utz is a great product. Love their pretzels. I love, love their, their uh, <laughs> what's that? I love their cheese curls. Oh yeah, those are good. I like the, uh, I think the Utz uh, Old Bay potato chip oh, is, yeah. is my favorite one of all the Old Bay chips by far. I could eat a full bag of those, no problem. Won't won't feel that good afterwards, but it'll be delicious when I'm yeah, when I'm doing got it. A lot of they got, a, I mean, yeah. the voodoo. They have voodoo chips. Uh, oh, those, those are, are great. Popular. Yeah, yeah. So they they've got a few different brands, but they're uh, they're fantastic, and they have a great management team, great leadership team, and you know, really happy for their success. And a local company too, right? Local company, yeah, yeah. out of the central PA area. Yeah, that's cool. Very cool. So a lot of people over the last uh, year or so have, you know, th this whole COVID situation has forced us into, uh, you know, a, a way different daily life than we were used to before. I'm curious on the, on the personal side of things, you know, you and your family, what was the adjustment like, first of all, having you around all day where the wife and kids just like trying to push you out the door as much as they could, or did they like... Uh, like having dad around and, and uh, enjoying your time. And I, I'm curious what kind of other personal things yeah. have happened in the last year or so. Well, it's definitely been a blessing. I believe it's been a, you know, a, you know, COVID's not a blessing by any stretch, but right, personal, right. you know, being, you know, I would leave oftentimes before the kids awake or wake up yeah. um, and I get home kind of after dinner. And, and that's, you know, that's kind of a lot of our life's lifestyles, especially yeah. working in the city and, and commuting, et cetera. Um, but so I think it's been on a personal note, it's been a bit of a blessing um, spending more time with the kids, right. uh, being more involved in some of their activities, being part of their homework a little more, um, having dinner with them. Um, I've got uh, two young daughters, 12 and 10. And, um, you know, uh, one thing that I'm very passionate about is uh, DE&I. And so uh, spending a lot of time with the girls talking about equality, understanding what was going on last year um, in Philadelphia um, and, you know, nationally with with some of, um, you know, the 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 deaths, specifically George Floyd, which was really a catalyst for a lot of things that happened. Um, but, you know, being able to have those conversations with them. Um, as opposed to coming in the door, still having work to do. It's, it's been great. And, yeah. uh, you know, we were able to spend the, the summer at the shore. Um, I got to play a lot more golf. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure my golf game got much better. Uh, <laughs> but it's, I, I love it. It's, it's a passion of mine. And yeah. so, so I, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a, you got to identify those silver linings. And I think we've all, I think we've all experienced them in some way. Yep. No, I agree with that. And, and, and for me, I think a lot of the same, you know, a lot more time at home with the wife and the pups and our oldest dog, Bella is 11 and a half and, and she has cancer right now and she's, she's doing okay with it. It's a bass cell cancer. It's pretty manageable, but 
but you see her slowing down too. And, and that's tough and it's sad, but I think about like, if I was still working a normal schedule, how much less time I would have had with her as, you know, she goes into probably, you know, probably her last year or so. And, uh, you know, she's been a part of the family since 2010. So, uh, you know, stuff like that is, you know, you can't replace that, uh, that, that extra time we've all gotten with the people and, and animals that, that, that we love. And, uh, you know, it's, it is something to be valued. Sure. Like wasn't worth the cost of this whole thing. I've said that many times. I mean, the, the human cost of what we just had to deal with, um, despite the silver linings, it's, it's not a trade. I don't think a lot of us would make, but, but at least it helped us prioritize, I think, reprioritize a lot of things. I know for sure that, you know, I've already started talking to some people. I have some stuff on the calendar, in-person lunches and a couple of dinners here and there as, you know, I have the fortune of, of being fully vaccinated about eight days from now as my, my second shot. And, uh, but I still like, I got to, I'm already pumping the brakes a little bit because it's like, I can't just, I don't feel like I can just reload the calendar like I did before and wind up like doing too much of a 180 on, on what we've got going now. It's almost like, I I think I prefer the smaller inner circle these days and I want to, I want to add back, but I want to do it carefully and, and, and slowly and, and not just do my old thing where I just, I accept every coffee and every lunch and every dinner networking event, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I think that brings this conversation almost full circle. Um, you know, it, we, we have these different, um, different data points in our lives. And, you know, we faced one a year ago, we're facing them periodically, but we're about to face one again. So, you know, you've got to make a personal decision. I've got to make a personal decision on what the future looks like. You know, yeah. what, what value are we going to take from this current last year? I, I love spending time with my kids and yeah. this has afforded me the opportunity. Am I going to go back to working in Philadelphia, getting there at seven 30 in the morning, coming home at nine 30 at night, uh, five days a week, going to black tie events, Saturday nights, uh, in the city for various causes. Am I going to do that? Maybe, I don't know, but I mean, it's, I think we all, but what I think is really cool is I think society as a whole has, has become more accepting of personal choices. And so when everyone said, you know, what you're, it's six o'clock at night in the middle of busy season, you're leaving, why are you leaving? Right. And to be able to get on VCs with prospects and clients and, and, and your colleagues and see dogs barking where before that was an embarrassment. Now it's, right. and it's actually welcomed. Like I love it's humanizing. Seeing, yeah. It's humanizing. Yeah. I love seeing people in sweat, sweatshirts and sweatpants and, kind of seeing what my colleagues' houses look like. And right, right. Know, it's, it's kind of neat. And I don't think anyone wants to lose that. So we need to adjust on what what do we want as a society going forward? Yeah. How do we how do we strike a balance? I mean, I, I think a lot of people don't love the current setup because we all want to be, we're social creatures. We want to be back with one another and we want to see one another and we want to, you know, see our friends and our extended families and all that. And we should do that. But yeah, let's let's maybe figure out each individual has to figure out where their balance is and say, OK, yeah. you know, for me, I'd like to go back to like, like you said, I want to be in the office on a regular basis. But if I got to come home at 
four o'clock because we're going to do something fun around the house or we're going to have an early dinner or something like that. I can take my next call from the road. I can sign on later on, on, on a zoom or whatever and, and, you know, find a better, uh, a better equilibrium, you know? Yeah. Truly a work-life balance. I mean, we, that, that word, that term has been thrown around for 30, 40 years, but you know, it's more of a work, work balance and work, work, maybe life balance. And so I think, I, I, I do think society and employers are going to welcome that. And by the way, I think they're going to be forced to, I mean, whether they like it or not, I think they're going to be forced because the work, the uh, workforce is going to demand something different. They're going to demand a different lifestyle. And there, there was a war for talent before we got into COVID. There will be maybe a bigger one after. And yeah, I mean, the workplace environment is going to be a huge part of that. I mean, it's funny. We've been probably is, and I may have even sent you some of the stuff back in the day, but as of like, four or five years ago, maybe more, one thing JLL would try to sell is uh, this notion of, you know, paying for premium space in a premium building in a premium part of town on paper to a CFO may look like a negative P&L impact. But if you think about the employee satisfaction, the productivity, the recruiting, the retention, you know, some people would get it, you know, forward-looking people would get it, forward-looking CFOs, but a lot of people would just say, oh, no, well, that space is, you know, it's it's 40% higher than this Class B building in the suburb. It's like, well, I mean, now we're going to have an even more, an even bigger focus on that. It doesn't necessarily have to be like super expensive space. It just has to be, how are you going to design your workday for people? Yeah. What does it look like? What, what, yeah. what amenities are they going to have? What comforts are they going to have while making sure the productivity stays, stays high? So yeah. I, I think it's going to be super interesting. Me too. Yeah. Well, listen, man, uh, it's been awesome. I, I really appreciate you jumping on here. Um, I'm super happy for your success at Grant Thornton. And I know uh, more is coming and and I can't wait till you and I can get back together. We'll we'll do a drink, I think, this time instead of a instead of a lunch <laughs> or both. I don't know. You know, yeah. it's a new world. Post COVID, yeah. it'll be a new world. But uh, we'll do it. I really look forward to it, Sean. And uh, and congrats again on all your success over the years. And uh, Appreciate everybody tuning in today. Thank you. Thanks so much.